Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I'm David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got reelected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season, bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the city council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. It's R&D in the QC, episode 87, and this week, Larkin and I discuss committee meetings, tonight's business meeting, several ribbon cuttings, and an update on the France recruitment trip. Episode 87, welcome to R&D in the QC. As you heard in the uh, in the open there, let's just lead right in with Tark's French Adventure, what a, a.k.a. What a, the Parisian boondoggle. That's really not <laughs> oh, what it, See, hey, you like calling other people's oh, trips boondoggles, man, I'm telling but you, you don't like really your own turning trips this thing around on me, huh? <laughs> What's the ROI well, on this trip, Tark? Well played, sir. Should well, all of our listeners who are Charlotte taxpayers why shouldn't they be angry? The RO, I'm glad you asked. The ROI is a billion units. What's a unit here? A great question. I'm going to define units in episode 88 of R&D in the QC. Um, what, what, I mean, you want to start on the French it was, Yeah, it wasn't a boondoggle. I, so, oh, uh, thanks. I, for so, Thank I, you so much for giving me that credit. <laughs> but I, I did want to see what your reaction would be when I, when I launched it. Because I like do that, that to you literally yes, every time. So uh, payback. Payback is a something. well. All right. So first of all, I'd like to mention that uh, I had a lot of people, particularly today, when we were at a couple of events together, asking why I didn't go. I said because I wouldn't be able to justify it. <laughs> Tar and I well, don't have any what they didn't rate. know was I was like, "Hey, man, do you want to go?" <laughs> no. Yeah, and uh, and I didn't have any spare vacation days. But, that too. Uh, so tell us what you did. You did. Sure. You sure. Did have sure. A sure. Being well, first there. of all, I'd like to mention that no taxpayer dollars were harmed in my in my inclusion on this trip. Doubtful. <laughs> I think you know me well enough to know that uh, uh, I only. I'm guessing the you truth. ate the heavy hors d'oeuvres at some of these things. All right, well, all right. That's that's called indirect taxpayer <laughs> indirect dollars. Spending. Yeah, that's indirect spending. No direct spending was harmed. You paid um, for your own flight. I did. All right. Well, Indeed. so there you go. Yes. So, but listen, the the point was this, and um, first of all, the trip was fantastic. Um, it was a lot of fun on one side of the coin, as we knew it would and be the with the NBA. Really well the Hornets played really well. The Hornets played really well for three quarters against the Bucks, and Which then the. The wheels, at least two more quarters than anyone totally expected. Totally agreed. But then the wheels totally fell off. Uh, but that was really exciting. Um, we got to be around the team. But I think more importantly, and the reason for us attending was uh, we went out and got to really try something new in international business and tech recruiting. Stinky cheese. Stinky cheese. We tried that too. Um, man, you're really amped up right now. <laughs> this just, is how the tables feel. I just drank that uh, cold coffee drink like right oh, before the meeting ended. Come on, man. And uh, it's not late. If so I'm wondering. feeling super it's, uh, like exhausted. It's eight thirty nine. So Ugh. yeah, I'm I'm geeked right now. All right, now. so if you could just pause that for what, the look on your face right now is really, I, I can't even look at you. It's I'm so geeky. For you. Yeah, yeah. At least there's some uh, some facial hair coming yeah, back on that back. face. Yeah, it's back, folks. It's not quite back, but Everyone it's better than down. it was. The emergency um, is over. So we went after 103 uh, tech and fintech companies 
that were in the region or would be in the region for a couple of different circumstances that we went and said, instead of the old way of saying, hey, everyone, here's a marketing kind of a pitch or here's a big uh, net we're throwing out to kind of, you know, fish for a lot of fish. My, my analogies aren't going to work right now very well. They don't ever. We went spear fishing uh, for 103 companies, but particularly after we analyzed those companies, there's about three dozen that came to the top of the list. And those are for varying reasons, some of which are um, they have really super high growth or some kind of product or capability that we think would good, be good in the region and or they are um, someone who we believe with a high level of probability is going to be entering the U.S. market or maybe considering a headquarters relocation and or, and this was the really unique factor, we gave it to all the partners of the Carolina FinTech Hub, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Ally, Truist, um, all those groups. And we said, um, who of these folks would you be interested in meeting with? Maybe doing a deal, maybe something where in the private sector, you guys are doing that, but it sweetens the deal for them to come to our city. And after that, we really targeted in on five or six companies that we were going all in on. Um, we met with folks individually. Uh, we um, we had a, an event that the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance had a big event on Thursday. And then we had a smaller, more intimate, specific event on Friday where we brought these companies in and uh, Secretary uh, um, of Commerce, Tony Copeland, uh, came. Um, Vi Lyle spoke. Um, city manager Marcus Jones spoke, and then we had Tracy Dodson uh, and and uh, and then other support folks uh, from different different groups kind of surrounding us. Was there somebody? And I I haven't asked this question. I genuinely don't know the answer. I don't think there was. But was there anybody from any of our local universities on this trip? No, I don't th think so. But I'm putting a little so, asterisk next to that. So what I and I'm just kind of thinking as a talk here but I, I do think that going for i mean we've heard from mark vittner on multiple occasions i'm so glad you're saying this because i have an answer for you actually okay go well, keep going was there somebody no well okay. no but, but but i think that there there are opportunities um and i actually wrote we talked back in november when i took that trip to germany also no taxpayer dollars harmed there uh, paid, for by the, paid for by the american council in germany the recap that i wrote as who are funded of, by I'm just kidding. Go keep going, man. It's you just did it to me. You can't take it back. Well, no, I didn't triple down. That's true. Um, the thing that I wrote as a recap there is that I, I see opportunities between German universities and and particularly like a UNC Charlotte, but potentially any of our higher learning institutions. And I think that these type of trips, Mark Vittner, the economist from Wells Fargo, has said this on multiple occasions. We've seen um, examples of other universities in the, in the states partnering with universities overseas. I think there are opportunities there too, and I feel like we need to make sure we're including our, our higher learning institutions in these sort of a exchanges and trips and um, recruitment efforts because having them at the table too, they are the ones that are helping to create the workforce uh, for a lot of these jobs that you're out recruiting in fintech. Having them at the table to say, are there French universities, are there German universities that we could partner with? to create some sort of a reciprocal program, I think is a big, absolutely hundred percent. So let me cap off that, this point I was just saying, and then I'm going to circle back to a couple other meetings that line up exactly with that point. Um, again, when you look at these companies, they're multiple like high growth, many like avid exchange level companies that we had the founders with us and we were able to kind of, you know, make the case and we had the right people there to make it seem really impressive. Um, but again, how this is, a measurable ROI trip, you know, in all seriousness, is in the number of site visits that we generate from this, which we already have several either already scheduled or in the works, 
And then ultimately, the final measure of success is how many press conferences, like we did with Better.com, like we did with Lowe's and Honeywell, how many press conferences do we have that originated from this trip and what we did? So it, it's it's very hard measure, no soft measure in, in this. And, and, you know, we're pressing the envelope a little bit and doing things like this. So in, I, I feel an extra burden on my shoulders to get measurable results so we can keep doing things like this. Because if we go and do this stuff and there's no real, you know, result, it's all touchy-feely. Yeah. Touchy every, every time you do it, it's everyone's going to lose faith. But these can be valuable tools. Now, aside from all of that, we also got to meet and learn from and connect with a lot of other really powerful and important groups. To the point you just made, um, we all sat down with um, the U.S. Uh, uh, Embassy in uh, Paris and they had some folks that were more regional, like execs in the embassies from from the broader European uh, region, but also folks that were there and they focused on commerce and different things like that. And we had an amazing meeting where literally we were going back and forth and they were like, I can't believe a city is out here proactively spearfishing for recruitment. And we said, we can't believe you have these things where you're literally pipelining, but you're not coming directly to cities. So we found all these synergies and then we were talking about other things and two things that I think are really interesting from that conversation. One, we said, um, wouldn't it be great? And, and the mayor brought this up uh, and she referenced uh, economist Mark Fittner and others that we've had this conversation. We've been looking for an, an international university research university partner in doing something there with credibility. And they said, well, what's the name of our sister city in France? Do you remember? Limoges. Yeah, Limoges. Limoges actually has a university there. And that's kind of the one thing that will be interesting. Um, but then we started talking, and this is the second point, which is I think it's time for us to revisit and totally overhaul the concept of sister cities. And sister cities have really been kind of about, it's been more about culture and cultural connections. They should be more about business, education, you know, commerce. And it brought up the point of Limoges is a great cultural connect and another one. But it's they like have a university, forty thousand people, right? And it's not the kind of university like that. The city, not the university. The, yeah, the, the the university. It's not really the kind of university, uh, based on some initial things I've heard, that we'd be going after. So I'm not saying let's get a rid of rid of the cultural connections of of sister cities. Well, and I can I can speak to that. I'm having been two term chair of the, right. the international cabinet, which manages the sister city relationships. A lot of those are legacy relationships and they, and they are to your point, very, um, very worthwhile in a cultural sense. But what has happened over time is when a lot of these were created, Charlotte was obviously a very different size city. Mm. And so if some, if a relationship was created 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, we might have been a peer city to some of these places. But even so, it's a good point. Right, but even but, so, but, was it ever about commercial relationships, about commerce, uh, or was it always less, about culture? Less so. But I think that, I mean, there have been student exchanges and there have been, so I mean, in some cases there's some educational interchange, but um, a couple things have happened. One, we have been on a, a growth trajectory that not many other cities can That's match. And so I think we have, have spread the gap maybe in the size differences spread over time and then two uh, frankly there has to be on both sides of the, of the pond there have to be strong groups of stakeholders who are interested in maintaining that relationship over time and sometimes over the course of a decade or two that can be challenging because you know very few people are willing to be committed to something for that long they want to pass the torch and if you don't have people um you know, we have sister city in Ghana. We have a sister city in China. We have one in several European countries. We have one um, in South America that, uh, 
don't necessarily always have that strong group of people who want to cultivate that. And so someone has to be the caretaker of those relationships. And as those cities, maybe they don't grow in the way that we do and they become less of a peer city to us. I think there's less incentive for people to maintain those. So, you know, adding sister cities is something that always got brought up at these meetings. And I would say the same thing that staff always said then, we don't necessarily have to make somebody a sister city to find a yes. really strong way to partner with them. And, and perhaps the better way of saying it is perhaps we leave the sister cities model as is, right? And maybe this is just something new. Economic partner cities right, exactly. or educational partner exactly. cities. Like or, there's, there's, there's value to the culture, uh, uh, but this is something different, right? The cultural connection. You're being waved at outside of the door, Larkin. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Councilwoman Johnson is waving at us. Uh, she wants to come in for a second. Sure, come on in. How are you, Councilwoman Johnson? I'm doing fine. What do you think? Good, thank you. You are live on the air. Just uh, come in and say one sentence that you want everyone to know. Hello, Charlotte. I am having a great time serving you guys and learning a lot from these fine gentlemen. Well, and Braxton Winston, he's also walking by. So give us a sentence on what you want uh, the public to know based on whatever happened today. Legalize it. Oh, God. <laughs> We'll okay. circle back to that later. We'll circle back to that. That's on the agenda. Thanks, uh, Mr. Winston. Thank you, Councilwoman Johnson. Appreciate it. We will talk more later. Thank you. Okay. Um, so back to the uh, um, <laughs> partner cities. <laughs> yeah, partner cities. So yeah, let's, so let's we, say Alexis, uh, one of our great staff members, yep. uh, is probably the foremost Guru, expert in yes. this. And that is someone, literally, you and I didn't even discuss this uh, because I I got back late Saturday night. So we're discussing this live on the air first time. Uh, we, we're just reacting to it. I think there's a lot of things we can think about there. Um, but then uh, let me mention one more thing. Um, three other related stops we made, um, but they're all kind of in the same ballpark. Have you ever, I mentioned it tonight in my council topics. Have you ever heard of Station F? No, but I have a vision of it in my head now from your comments. Yeah, so Station F is essentially um, built in the I think 1920s uh, in Paris. It was not a not a uh, train station, but it was actually this, it kind of looks like a train station when you're in it now. But it was really this huge, open, rotund, round ceiling um, place where they built and repaired trains. So it wasn't a station as much as that. So it was really wide open, um, and they went and. Uh, uh, this self-made multi, uh, I think a, a multi-billionaire, uh, French Parisian multi-billionaire um, came back. I think he's in his mid fifties, put $250 million of his own money into this adaptive reuse project and essentially created, I mean, there's no better way to say it than if you know, in our own town, the closest we would even say anything to it would be a Packard place where, um, Essentially, Packard Place has an incubator, an early stage incubator, one program for companies. And then it's got co-working spaces and different things than community working spots, right? Now you might also know like we have kind of some WeWorks in town, which are more pure working spaces. So this place, imagine imagine Packard Place, which you know is a great program for us with QC FinTech. But imagine a massive, massive place that has three parts to it a co-working space in one section. The second section is uh, a, an acceleration programming place. And the third section is a place where it's food and eating and all this stuff, right? And, um, and there are 32 programs, like globally recognized programs that sit side by side. Things like Google has a program there and Facebook and plug and play 
and L'Oreal, where each they accept cohorts of, of folks in there. There's upward mobility ones, um, all this crazy stuff. So first of all, it's just a mind boggling number of programs, but this is like the hot spot. If you're in Paris and you're an entrepreneur, you're an investor, you're a startup, you're a big company, literally this is the place where you want to go. And um, it was just so incredible to see these things uh, firsthand, but then to see like these, these, you know, thousand plus millennials, high, high, high uh, um, energy, high entrepreneur millennials running around like working every day here, launching their own companies, finding things to do. It has elements of affordable housing baked into it, where if you're accepted into any of the programs, you can be added into the affordable housing they've attached, attached onto it. I mean, um, it is just insane to have seen this. And while I, it's not something we can just duplicate and make it work exactly here, I think there are things we can learn, lessons we can learn, and things from ribbon cuttings we'll talk about later and stuff that I actually saw really pieces that naturally have come into our own spaces here that were just really cool to look at there. So that plus WeWork and the Paris WeWork and um, this other smaller version of that um, called School Labs. We got to go visit there and learn from them and the mayor and the manager and Tracy and everyone's kind of with us. So I think we all kind of took a lot away from that. I just texted you a link to something that I had sent uh, the owner of Camp North in while I was in Germany mm -hmm. in Leipzig, which is a city of about a half million people that was just named like one of the places you've never heard of that you, you ought to travel to by some national publication. But there's a place called the, and the, the actual name is longer, but it referred in shorthand as the Spinner Eye. And it was a similar thing to a Camp North End to what you're talking about. And so I think a lot of these uh, emerging cities have these sorts of, of environments that, that cultivate this, this brand for a city um, and cult, not only cultivate a, a sense of an identity, but, but cultivate the companies that, that further that identity and further that objective. And so, and we have to also just remind me, give a shout out to Damon camp North End. Damon is the one that when he heard, he asked, is there anything he could do to help support us on this trip? And uh, he, uh, he actually ended up sending shipping over um, local Charlotte beer that um, that we were able to have in our showcase Friday event I mentioned for these companies we're recruiting to to taste some of our best beer and it was a hit let me tell you very cool so perfect segue from the France trip since you're talking about these sorts of spaces um, we got to celebrate the opening of two places today before the meeting uh, why don't you start with the one from this morning since it's kind of in that same vein sure this morning was EY's wave space in South End. formerly known as Ernst and Young Yes, if you didn't know that. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Larkin. Um, also, before that, known as Nakatomi Plaza. No? Sure. Sure, okay. Um, but it, 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 this is uh, under the kind of leadership, Malcolm, obviously, Coley overall, but Brad Wallace, one of the partners here at EY in Charlotte, it was one of his kind of babies that he really shepherded through. And in the rail yard, which if you're not familiar with the rail hard yard is right across the street from um from what gin mill and gin mill amos's uh, it's this incredible new hot building very cool design um and they uh they've got the fourth and fifth floor over there that are just dedicated to this thing called the wave space and while it's more complicated than that just if you're wondering what it is just picture a really cool funky environment um that um has a lot of uh you know things that that inspire you but also have a lot of different rooms to work very nimbly um for for a new market talent force 
but then there are rooms great for presenting, whether it's with smaller groups, whether it's brainstorming and working session, whether it's larger groups like today um, with all kinds of interactive media and technology. And then their thing is they have, they have experts in all kinds of different fields on hand there. Um, whether it's, you know, a digital design person for something or it's, you know, some kind of audio. I, I, they have literally experts in every field you can imagine placed throughout it so that not only if, you, if you're a company um, and you want to solve something, not only can you come in there and, and meet with strategic partners, they can pull in and go into these rooms and really help you build out the prototype or whatever it is you're trying to do together. And not just for their clients, but for... Um nonprofits as well yeah civic groups here in the city so um this is obviously a huge um amenity for people who work with you know pay ey to for their services but uh they're opening it much beyond just their um their portfolio of clients yep exactly so that leads us nicely into the second ribbon cutting of the day so right before our meeting this evening in the lobby of the government center if you uh, if you come in from the fourth street entrance uh, immediately on your left you will see our new uh, redesigned clt development center uh, redesigned both physically uh, they've changed the the orientation of that space and changed the layout it is very modern very open workspace kind of co-working environment um with some cool little technological bells and whistles, but more importantly for a lot of the land use uh, stuff and permitting and, and things that goes on in the city, um, they have cohabitated many of our um, departments that would assist in the process of land development or permitting or uh, those sorts of things that, that go around development. And we're trying to make this process more streamlined, trying to make this process more efficient so that, People aren't going from floor to floor, building to building um, to get all of this input and get all this feedback. And um, and part of it, I think, obviously, just a, a being mindful of people's time and we should want to be as efficient as possible because um, we are all of the people in the community, um, be they people who live here or people who develop here or anything like that. They're all kind of our customers, as it were, we should want to have good customer service. This will provide better customer service, but also when, when we're looking at things like affordable housing, for instance, time is literally money. If, if people are paying architecture, they're paying, um, you know, lawyers or they're paying whoever for shepherding something through this process. And that person has to go from floor to floor, building to building and, um, kind of gets put through the ringer just process wise um this doesn't change the the process but by expediting it and and putting it all in one location where people can go and get all of their answers theoretically um it shortens the amount of time that someone has to spend with all that paperwork and spend with all those meetings and eliminating some of those types of costs from the development process those costs inevitably if they're paid by a developer as they go through the process they're going to be passed through in the form of a higher sale price or a higher uh, rent or whatever. And so they, they factor all that in. And so it's not, we're not just trying to save them money on their bottom line. We're trying to keep them from having to pass unnecessary costs through to the end user, which is the the renter or the purchaser. So um, it, it's a really cool looking space, but I also think that it will help us be better with our customer service and, and ultimately it's better for the community. Take a look at this picture. Here's one of the pictures I snapped of station F see that? See, it's got that crazy, funky, like, 
ceiling roof to it. Yeah, very modern. Mo- modern, but like adaptively reuse you know, your kind of deal. Also run by um, a, a group called La French Tech, which we got to spend some time with. It's, uh, that's, which, uh, if you don't speak French, is French for the French the Tech. The French Tech, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so that's that. And I, and I wonder, just to cap that off, um, and by cap it off, I mean jump back over the last two topics we just had uh, and back to that. Is there, I, I was just curious, would one day Camp North End be something like that? You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of. Yeah, I mean, I think it's headed that direction. But I, I think, too, that. It won't be exactly the same, we but should, we'll have we the should, same vibe to it. I think what's happening is we're starting to see a more, and I don't, I feel like bifurcated sometimes seems like a negative word. I don't mean it that way. I, I think positively bifurcated. Trifurcated. Place. I mean, where as a city we've got, it shouldn't all just be like, oh, the only place this kind of cool stuff is going on is Camp North End. It is and will undoubtedly be one of those cool places. But I think we're starting to see a lot of people adopt that mindset and adopt that more collaborative approach. But there's only so many adaptive reuse targets that you actually have, right? I mean, you've got Optimus Hall. has got the Duke mm-hmm. Energy Innovation Hub over there. You've yep. got that, that place is incredible. Right. You, and you've got EY is doing this now. I mean, I think a lot of... Um, I think we're going to see a lot of this, and I think that Camp North End will undoubtedly be one of the larger places that some of this energy is is centralized. But um, it's about having the right. I think it's programs. changing the whole. I think I think a lot of our big corporate um, neighbors here in Charlotte are really starting to adopt a lot of this mindset, and I think that we'll see it maybe not through the whole city, but certainly in and around our center that, city. That is an amazing point. And uh, the folks with, we were at La French Tech who does and manages a lot of the programming in that building, Station F, one of the things they made, the point they made, and I really followed up and let, them, let and told them that's one way we're different, is they really try to balance and only allow the corporate interests to be a certain part of a many-part equation that populates what they do. And what I told them is, whether you think that's a good or bad thing, we don't have the luxury to even contemplate that. Like our corporates are the driving forces behind the successful programming in our town. It's the vast majority of what happens in a lot of cases. The smaller groups and the things of that nature and the startups on their own, they're great, but they, I mean, that that, that doesn't fund or sustain anything. So it's just, we're in a very unique spot given who we are and how we've grown up this way. But anyway... It also occurred to me before somebody corrects my grammar that bifurcation would mean two, and I can't think of what, and, and you were made up, I don't know if trifurcation's a word. You can, you can trifurcate anything. It's, it's multi, I don't even know what the word would be for multiple, uh, furcations. Multiplication. <laughs> Multiplication. <laughs> so what I, tweet us, let us know what that word Please would don't, be. tweet Larkin. Um, committee meetings? Is that, is that yeah, all we got left? Sure. Well, or do you want to, uh, open up the can of worms of our stormwater endeavor tonight uh let me just hit on that very quickly i so have, let me set the stage and then you explain it. yes please we on any given business agenda of which we have two a month will have anywhere from five to 20 property transactions that can as be as little as like a, a five hundredths of an acre or they can be you know maybe up in it to an acre these are things that are generally around like our greenway system or stormwater projects or something where we easements, have to infringe on like the edge of someone's property and we're buying 13 hundredths of an acre from them and we're paying them market rate for it and we negotiate that. These are very common. They very rarely have speakers or, or things that council really 
gets into. Uh, but we had one in your district tonight for a stormwater project. This is literally the only piece of the project that's held up at this point. They kept deferring it and trying to work it out uh, while they got everything else, um, all the other T's crossed and I's dotted. And tonight we had the property owner who has been the lone holdout and uh, council decided to um, all whip out their engineering degrees, of which there are a grand total of zero at our dais, and uh, analyze this project. I think there might be minus one, to be honest. Um <laughs> But no, so good setup. So long story short, I've as the district rep, and, and I think there's a point here to be made, which is rarely do we do we track or even like to our does it come to our attention something as controversial as this ended up being, is the amount of time we took on it in that meeting. And if things are bubbling up that way, usually it's the district rep that keeps their finger on the pulse of it and make sure it goes along. Like every council member is not going to be up to speed on one property transaction that may or may not be controversial six months before it gets voted on. So I had been very high level keeping my finger on the pulse. But purposely, you know, I'm just trying to say, does this all kind of smell right? Because I am not an engineer or a judge or anything like that. So we get to this point and this lady comes in. Um, which I feel for, she doesn't want it to happen, but clearly based on what I've learned, she has spent the last year moving the goalpost and, and really kind of saying, saying, and, and, and bringing up claims that while they took them seriously, she was not finding middle ground. It was more of a, that this is what I want to happen. And, and to I'm going to do on its face. If I were her, I'd have, I'd have looked at the situation and had some of the same concerns and questions. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, you can't, you can't fault her for that, but I think the bottom line is, and this is the case I made and several others kind of agreed with or made as well is we hire staff to do a certain thing and a manager to manage all of that. And we are certainly not engineers, right? And but we have engineers involved in the process. Exactly. And not only that, those engineers for things like this hire third party consultant engineers that then uh, through their reputation, hold on. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I had, that came out of nowhere. Bless you. Oh, man. I think that's a first. Usually yep. it's just you coughing on the wall. Um, I'm sorry, everyone. Ooh. So. You didn't bring back uh, some sort of a French. No, it's that, uh, it's that neurovirus thing. No, I think it's not. Um, so uh, we have a third party engineering consultancy that then goes through and puts their own stamp or seal that puts their credibility and reputation to say, we are now exposed because we believe this person's house is not going to fall down if we do this essentially. Right? So it's not just us relying on staff. It's us relying on staff and the third party who stake their reputation on it. And then we have a city manager, uh, a city attorney who looks at these things that are certainly in anything, but definitely higher level if it's going to potentially be litigious and says, I believe that if this does happen and this person comes there, we have grounds to stand in court. They all looked at us and said, if we've done our job, which we believe we have, then you do not need to have concerns that, that all those bases are covered. Yet we have colleagues that will look at it and say, I'd like a little more time. And to, the question or, is to or do have what another, exactly? Or have another engineer... I mean, but we hire the know, other engineer to I'm do not, that. I'm not, I wasn't one of them, but I'm saying, you know, we could look at, there's only so much that we're even qualified to analyze the findings of the engineers. And so you can look at all the information you want. And again, I don't, I don't fault this lady for, you know, her house is on a slope and she's worried about potential erosion, but 
you know, some of the things that were concerns that again, just as a layman, which she is in terms of this engineering issue, which all of us on council are, as a layperson, you'd look at it and you go, well, that's a logical question to ask. But then if we have third-party engineers giving a definitive answer, at some point we have to trust that answer. Yeah, unless someone's planning on literally getting an engineering license and being uh, ramped up as a judge within the next two weeks, there, literally there's nothing we can do to opine on this. And I, it, It's almost more dangerous if we get involved from a litigious perspective because then we'll start throwing around, well – Maybe she's correct. About, I mean, we either trust the process or we don't. Well, and some of it is unquestionably that, that some people have more discomfort than others not seeming to or trying to appease someone who's coming down with a gripe. Sometimes and, we can't appease everyone right. that's before Right, and so us. I think that... I think that is really some the, of that the comes, moral of this story. Some of that comes with time where you you get used to the fact that there are going to be times where we have to give people answers that are not the ones they came looking for. Um, and maybe for some people that just never comes, but, uh, you know, I, I, everyone should be heard. She had the opportunity to be heard not only from staff over the course of a year, but, but by us tonight. And I think there were some good questions asked, but we, you can't ultimately end up voting a certain way just because you want to look like you're yeah. trying to appease somebody. Because honestly, what you end up doing is while you appease that one person, and maybe that's one of your voters, maybe it's not, and you, you might have won that vote if that's what your objective was, what you're doing in the meantime is you're also undermining a lot of people who work for us. and so over, People that literally went to college matter for experts, this. Yeah. And so you're undermining <laughs> them and saying, I don't trust these dozen people from our city staff that have worked on this, they're probably also your voters, but that's not, that shouldn't be part of the yeah. calculus. It should be, you know, we hire people who are good at what they do. And that doesn't mean that they're perfect, but they're good at what they do and they're subject matter experts and not demonstrating a, a certain level of trust. Once we've asked those logical questions and been given pretty strong answers is, is it's like me popping open of the hood of a 2020 high end vehicle, no, right? This, there's no chance it's going to be a good. It's going to be great. I mean, yeah, I can look at it. I say, yeah, the engine's there. There's an engine there. I can't begin to distinguish the difference between a catalytic converter. Is, is that why you've had the same car broken down in your garage for the entire time? I've That's exactly you? why. Because I'm not authorized. It's now a piece of art. It's true. It's Charlotte art. Uh, okay, good. So there's that. And then just uh, what? one more. Committees, right? Committees. So last week while you are gone, we had our first community safety committee. How'd that go? I went fine. Our first objective as uh, charged by the mayor is we're creating a framework. And so essentially we're trying to identify what is it we want to measure. Um, the thing that's been obviously the, the lead uh, headline in, in all the stories about crime last year was the murder number, uh, which is undoubtedly important, but it is not the only thing that's important. And honestly, it can't be the only thing that we seek to improve. There's a lot of other things we can seek to improve, and then we'll have the. What's the punchline of, of a framework for public safety? Well, I, what we have, what I have stated as the chair of that committee is, we need to identify the things that we are trying to impact. And so, I'll use for the sake of example, we're not we're not there yet to say what those are, but let's say that it is the total violent crime uh, rate. It is third grade reading level people reading at grade at third grade because a lot of these things that are more kind of social measurables can very closely correlate to someone's likelihood of, of so what you're saying up is being a victim or a perpetrator of, of if, violent crime. if the violent crime rate is your objective 
you're going to go look for factors that have been proven to correlate to that. Some, maybe it's high school graduation. Point. Maybe it's third grade reading level. Maybe it's access wow. to a, a rec center. Maybe whatever it is. And so there's. How do you determine if the correlation is correct? Well, I mean, it's not obviously always going to be a perfect marker, but I think that correlation the, does well, not equal causation, agreed. my friend. But with a lot of the work that's being done on our behalf and that that we have pulled in from Johns Hopkins, from Bloomberg Philanthropies, some of these other groups that are studying a lot of this stuff and diving deeper into the statistics than we would ever be able to both um, more regionally, but then also nationally. At, At some point, if you can say we've got these seven factors and if you check five of these boxes as a person at this, a young man at this age, then you are 80 times more likely to be the perpetrator or victim of violent crime. I mean, at some point, and again, I made all that up, but at some point we can say clearly if we impact these social measurables, then we'll impact our violent crime rate too. So the framework is essentially we're trying to determine what is it that we want to measure, how are we going to measure it, uh, and then we'll work from there backwards to say if the goal is Mm. to improve reading a grade level by third grade for – particularly our young men, particularly our young men in lower socioeconomic uh, parts of town, then what are the programs that we need to be looking at as we go into the budget cycle that can best have a measurable um, impact on that goal? And so we'll do that for, so again, we're trying, we need to figure out first, what are the things that we're trying to improve and then work backwards from there to say, how do we improve? This is, I think this is an an amazing approach. It's uh, great for so many different reasons. I'm real excited for it. I'm also just anxious or nervous. I don't know what the word is because like this is, this could be so complicated. You know, I, I think there's a mixture of like complexness and simplicity in different angles of this to make it successful because this could be such a powerful tool. But um, I'm real excited about that. So that's good news. Today we had a transportation and planning meeting earlier. Uh, that was mostly updates, uh, giving us getting us up to speed, kind of where we're at on the 2040 plan as that's going along towards the UDO. We did see a thing that I think you'll you'll like, and I won't do it justice. Um, Arc Urban is the name of the program. I can't believe I came up with that off the top of my head. Arc Urban, it's a computer program uh, that we would essentially buy it's like a software that we would buy licenses to utilize and it creates a 3d rotatable urban environment. We basically put the city in as it exists today. And then we can add in as projects are proposed, we can add them into this environment and create 3d modeling that will demonstrate everything from just how it will look in its surroundings to it. Literally at one point in the demo, it shows like you can kind of look through the course of the day as the sun moves and the shadows that this new building would cast. And I mean, so all these things about how it will. I'm skeptical. uh, It's it's, I'm not skeptical that it can't do some version of that. I'm skeptical that we need that. Well, it's actually not particularly expensive. It's like $30,000 for the first year. And that's actually probably representing a higher cost than year two and beyond because there's a ramp up and there's, so it's, it's a very low cost, but I think that it will. Someone needs to justify what they're going to use it for. Well, other than just I mean, like, I think hey, this is for cool presentations. Well, I think it's... Like the it's, shadow positioning. Well, I mean, I, that was just one thing that I haven't noticed. That's not the main objective here. But I think that it does... Hmm. You know, oftentimes... Do you guys vote vote voted out of committee or something? No, not yet. We haven't gotten the... We need to get a more specific exact cost 
and ask and but um you know i do think it will help sometimes it helps to visualize and sometimes the presentations that we're given are just like boxes that kind of are like well it'll be about this tall and it really doesn't do much justice to how it will fit in its surrounding environment and um and there's things too that that can they show they use the brooklyn village project as um as an example and showed you know the different configurations of if we have this much office space it, it generates it creates this many jobs versus if we have this much residential square footage in the project it, it's this many um residents and so there's a lot of uh, different things that you can extrapolate from it hmm. uh, when we're making these decisions do we get a license you get yeah i mean you'd license like me and you personally oh no I don't like think so, so we can start like mocking up like i'd like the building to look like this please mm. no i don't want one you maybe you can i, def- I definitely don't want one um and then we had an intergovernmental meeting oh, today. Yes. well uh interesting and um Look, I uh, like it, every everyone approaches this with certain objectives and goals. We all all always don't agree, but you know, there's a purity of of off authentic drive that that pushes some of these things through, and I, and I'll give credit for that. But um, we had a number of our carryover ones that are you didn't tell what we were talking listeners, about. Listeners, yes, uh, oh yeah, legislative agendas that time both, of year both again, state and federal, state and federal. Um, so those longtime listeners may remember that. Last year, we had a little bit of drama because at the last minute, um, we fo- some folks wanted to add um, comprehensive immigration reform to it. And we, we, you know, at the federal level, didn't really know exactly how folks would respond to it. We certainly hadn't done analysis to know what we were asking for. Um, in the end, we ended up not adding it as an item, but adding it as a discussion point. And it actually was received very well. Since then, just as an example, um, Larkin, you were the the, the chair of that uh, ad hoc committee. Um, what was it called? The Immigration... Immigrant Integration uh, Committee. And uh, that or group... Immigrant Community Committee. I was thinking, yeah. confusing it with the Immigrant Integration Task Force from a couple of years ago. So that was where you and Frederico Rias and many others went around the community. I think you had, what, half a dozen or so? Nine. Uh, nine community meetings um, where... Um, we presented out a lot of stuff, but also gathered in feedback. You got a lot of things. And now uh, we unanimously push that forward into this um, this uh, federal legislative agenda, um, saying comprehensive immigration reform was a topic, but now being able to cite some specific examples of things that we heard from the community. I think that's a great example of doing it the right way. And sending um, it to council fully baked. I don't think things should be coming out of committee half-baked. And yeah. I appreciate your... Not you, being defensive when I push you back were on you. You were spot on. You were spot on on your and point. And if I was going to be – so there were two things brought up today um, that I voted against. And if I was going to be consistent, you brought up something later, and thankfully were receptive to my constructive criticism, that if I was going to be consistent and say, I can't vote for something where we're just throwing some huge issue on the wall and we haven't even fleshed out like what the specific asks are, we're not setting ourselves up for success. And – that's not even getting into the nuance of the fact that the things we were talking about that I voted against were things, a, all three, both Mr. Winston's and both and yours were things that I am principally supportive of, but we were sending them to Raleigh knowing that two of the three 
have almost literally a 0% chance of success. Not even just a 0% chance of success. But they actually have a chance of having alienating and hurting the other things because we know that. And so so those items were. They could be viewed as picking fights. The first one, which did pass through, uh, local control. Local control. I.e., trying to operate more in a home rule way than in a Dillon rule way, which is briefly home rule. The municipalities have far more latitude to do something that's that they want to do i'll use uh, plastic bag ban as an example some cities in the country have banned plastic bags we can't do that we are a dylan rule state we don't have the authority to do something like that without that, the a topic without that the we aren't granted from the state right, granted the authority to do so so this one is very dangerous and it's dangerous because to the point you made earlier there's no chance this gets traction None whatsoever. Now, Very Councilman, little is going to get traction at Councilman all this Winston, year because it's the short session. Sure. They don't even have a budget. They might not have a budget again this year. There's so many other things going on. This is probably never even going to hit anyone's radar. If it does, it very potentially looks like a shot across the bow. Right. Which That's is not point. really the purpose, as, as I see it, of the Intergovernmental Committee. It's to build coalitions. It's to build relationships and find things we can win on. And I think, to your point, we took something that could have been a shot across the bow with immigration. We did a lot of, of back work. We came with specific asks that where we think we can get wins and where we think we can have bipartisan support in on issues that the immigrant community specifically told us would be hugely helpful to them. Yeah. And, and that's the work like has been put stuff. in on that one. You and we're not going mean? to necessarily go to those links in. on everything. Right, right, right. But um, the other one was was marijuana, which, again, like I have – if we could wave a magic wand and legalize marijuana, I think the pros outweigh the cons, though there are some of each. But it's it's not a thing that – we have two local representatives in the state house from Mecklenburg County that have filed bills um, for different parts of, of marijuana decriminalization and, and whatnot – and they've never seen the light of day in Raleigh. So the, the idea that we're going to go down there and just say, like, we want to legalize marijuana isn't isn't going to get any traction there. And I just don't I don't it's, see it's the a upside distraction from the other things we're bringing that we can be successful. Right. Exactly. And so I I, I maybe spoke on it longer than I, I would normally, but I didn't want people to think that these aren't things that I see merit in, but I, and then I, and then yours was around judicial um, reform, C- criminal justice system reform. You and I have talked about ad nauseum that we know we need, but I the said, amount it, of work that is still underway to your valid point, which is why I retracted my, my proposal hasn't been finished. And I can't, as much as I want this one, uh, who am I to push that forward in that same way? It, it makes me hypocritical. I saw it right away and I, and I backed away after you said it. So I think that, that all those have merit, but we need, if we're sending something from committee, there needs to be some specificity or otherwise it looks like we didn't do the work. It's like we have, it doesn't take two minutes to come up with the idea that we, and I know again, that far more work has been put into it by many of us, uh, yourself certainly included judicial system reform and criminal justice reform. But to just like say that catchphrase and send it up to council, there's not, it doesn't demonstrate the work that's been done. So we need to demonstrate the work that's been done by saying, here are the specific asks, and it's that we need you know, more capacity in our courtrooms uh, in terms of judges that are sitting on the bench more days a week than they are currently, which is a topic for another podcast. Um, or it's that we need you know, XYZ for the sheriff's department or the police department or the DA's office needs more man and woman power or whatever it is, but like, let's have those specific asks. So if you were wondering, uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes ago, what councilman Winston, uh, his comment was now, you know, now you know. if you don't you know. know, now you know, uh, 
Okay. So, um, anything else there, Larkin? I'd like to maybe go to bed. I'm yeah. a little tired. So, uh, the marijuana thing didn't get. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah we guess we should votes, cap but that the off. local control did. But that um, only goes now to the full council for consideration, which will not get out of there. Unless I'm crazy. Uh, just always some some wild card votes. I think that to both our lobbyist and our city attorney's points that were made today, um, which is a large part of the reason I voted no, we will stand a better chance of success if instead of going, hey, we broadly want you to all. Th- I mean, first of all, what is the likelihood that anybody gives just voluntarily cedes power to another body? Um, so that we go down there and say, well, we just want you to not be in control anymore so we can be in control. We get laughed at. Our I office. don't care but I think if Democrats take over and take the majority. It still won't happen. It still won't happen. Because it's a rural urban thing. It's not, a it's not even thing. a rural urban thing. It's just a kind of a human principle, I think, that, that a, why would a body that these people who get to decide or a member of cede power to us? It, it's... But it, even even if but, you got a group that was willing to consider it, because the whole the whole the talking point of what is it not intervention, um, what's the word where you you come over top and do something over top of the local government? It's called uh, it's the word they uh, yeah whatever it is it's late uh, it's it's a word we say all the time, but that word right? Um, yeah, what is it? Inception. <laughs> You're making it worse. You make it harder for me to think. In, in inadequation. I mean, they intervene, but that's not the word. Vention. Let's just call it vention. No. Overvention. Undervention. Shut up. Convention. <laughs> well, we're not going to think of it now. Yeah, we're going to think of it as soon as we protraction. Stop. Nope. Nope. Um, Diversion. No. <laughs> please, please. All stop. right. So. Um, whatever that word. What was I even saying? Now I don't even remember. <laughs> well, anyway. It's a thing they're not going to do. I think we can all settle on that. Contraption. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, make it stop. All right. Well, guess what? I'd just like to t- stop talking now. Okay. Sold. Sold. All right. Uh, specific call to action. We always vaguely say people need to like, share, rate, subscribe. You got to do all that. And more but, nice comments about me. I think that last that call last to action one, yeah. really came through, and I really like what I'm seeing. More nice comments about me. Well, it was just one, but that is more than there were. Yes, that's a 100% increase. As of right now, we have 97 ratings. So Ooh. even if you don't want to take the time to type out something and tell us what you like and what you don't like, at least go in and rate on iTunes. This is on iTunes. If we you're listening this ratings. long into our program and you haven't done that yet, at least go in you there. owe it to yourself. Give it four, preferably five stars, and uh, and help us maintain our five star rating. The number of ratings and the and the you know when people are looking when they're shopping for podcast mm. when they're looking at that Charlotte Five list from last week that said we were one of the best ways to spend the time in your car during your commute. They're going to want to look and they're going to see a hundred people have given it an average rating of five stars. Mm. That's what's going to make them listen. Which three of you will it be? Also, I'd like to see a few more anti Larkin comments out there. Not necessary. Ah, just a couple. One or two. Something about your voice being punchable. No, no, that's you. <laughs> that's you that they say that about. Although I'm uh, sure there are people. plenty of people who think we're both punchable. People. All yeah. right. We love you guys. Peace. Peace.